Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. My name's David. I've been asked to share communion this morning. Can I just ask you to put that scripture up? Thanks, Mike. If that's all right, thank you. Oh, I don't know if they can read it. I'll read it because in white it's a bit hard to read. So I don't know if you've ever had a communion scripture out of 1 Chronicles before, but here we go. So this is King David speaking. He's right at the end of his life and King Solomon is, or Solomon is just about to, to become king. And the scenario is David's handing over all the resources he's collected to build the temple. So he's telling everybody, or he's telling King Solomon, the people, all the material, gold, silver, bronze, wood, precious jewels. And he's gathered a lot of it. Some Bible researchers tell us that this building alone, the temple, its value was 56 billion. That's B. Just one building. So I'd like one of those. Okay. So just looking at... Sorry? Yeah. No, no. He'd saved it all up. So just looking at the materials that were used to build the temple. As I said, there was gold, silver, bronze, and wood. So gold was used extensively in the temple, in the structure temple, like tons of it, around three and a half thousand tons of gold in the temple. And that gold is used to represent holiness, to represent God, the purity there. And many objects that were in the temple were made of wood, but then overlaid with gold. The Ark of the Covenant was made from acacia wood, and then they covered it in gold. There was the poles that they carried the Ark of the Covenant, some of the fences, everything. Why? Because the acacia wood that they used was really cranky wood to work with. It was knotty, it was super hard, the grains would go in different directions, it was just really difficult to work with. You know, that wood represents you and I. God takes challenging people like you and I and begins to work on us, straighten us out, make us beautiful. And then what does he do? He overlays us with gold, his gold, his holiness. We are covered by him. Our humanity is covered by God. So the temple, all that stuff is a typology of who we are. And that wood was very difficult to work with. Then we have bronze. It's very interesting. All the bronze that was used in the temple actually wasn't used in the temple. The only bronze was outside the temple. The bronze laver, the the altar where the sacrifice was. And I'm talking about tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of bronze. And what does bronze represent? All the way through the Bible, bronze represents judgment. So judgment only happened outside the temple. You came into the temple, you were covered in gold. When you come into Jesus, there's no judgment for you and I. None. And the last bit is silver. Silver in the Bible always represents value and redemption. Just a couple of examples. In Genesis 17, when do you remember when uh, Joseph, his brothers, threw him in the pit and then they pulled him out later and they sold him to the Midianites and he went off to Egypt and all that stuff happened? They paid the, the Midianites paid his brothers 17 pieces of silver 
because that was the redeemable price. In Leviticus, it tells us that when you, if you commit a sin, you do the sacrifice, but then the high priest would tell you what is the value of silver you have to pay him. And then further in Leviticus, it tells us that whenever they do a census of the people in Israel, they had to redeem each person by a certain amount of silver. For men above 20, I think it was, they had to pay 50 pieces or shekels of silver. For women, it was 30 pieces of shekel. 30 shekels of silver, sorry. So you redeem someone by paying silver. Silver in the temple. Who do you think silver represents in the temple? Who redeemed us? Jesus. Yeah? Now thinking of that 30 pieces of silver, do you know anywhere else in the Bible where they mentioned 30 pieces of silver? Judas, yeah. Why did Judas get paid 30 pieces of silver? Huh? What's that about? Well, let's think about this. 30 pieces of silver was for a woman, female. We are the bride of Christ, yeah? A bride is female, obviously. Well, maybe not so obviously nowadays, but bride is female. So the redemption price for a woman was 30 pieces of silver. We're his bride, a bride is female. Jesus was, Judas was paid 30 pieces of silver. The redemption price for you and me. Even the temple was set up to display the gospel. Even the temple, even the constructed temple, everything in there is to point to Jesus. And every person here, every person here today has the opportunity to know that, to live that, to breathe that, to be that. You know, when God sent Jesus on the earth to die for you and my sins, we are forgiven. The reality is, whether you know Jesus or not, you're forgiven. What you need to do is you need to take up that offer. You need to receive that offer. And today as we're here to celebrate communion, remember, what is this all about? What did Jesus do? He redeemed you and me from eternal separation from God, eternal punishment, and eternal darkness. Can I tell you something? I'm not going to hell. I'm not separate from God. If you know Jesus, neither are you. You and I, if we're in a relationship with Jesus, we have a certain destiny. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, or you're not, you don't know Jesus, come and talk to one of the leaders here. Come talk to me if you want, and we'll introduce you to a wonderful person called Jesus. Sorry, I forgot to ask. Everybody got a communion cup? I left mine on my table. Has everybody got one? If you don't have one, lift your hand and we'll get one to you really quickly. I can't open it while I'm holding this. <laughs> all right. So, Andrew, do you want me to pray? Is that all right? So we're just going to pray now and just thank God for what he's done. Lord, I just thank you today that your word is true. That salvation is here for all of us. And, Lord, if we want to come in a relationship with you and know you, it's perfectly accessible, and you've made everything known to us through Jesus. Father, I should bless these people today. In Jesus' name, amen. My name is Tatenda. For those who have not met me, I'm usually in the 10.30 a.m. service. Uh, we're going to be going and continuing with the book of Ephesians that we've been studying as the church. Um, we've since done Ephesians 1 to 3, uh, which primarily is just focusing on what God has done for mankind. 
uh, we've been saved, we are blessed, uh, we've been redeemed, and we have been reconciled to him. And, you know, the foundation of Christianity uh, will never therefore be about what or you and I will do in the house of the Lord or we've done before, but the foundation lies entirely upon what God has done for us. So basically that's what one to three is uh, talking to us about. Last week we were in Ephesians 4 uh, from verses 1 up to 16, which talks about the unity among the people of God and how God accomplishes this unity in the church via the spiritual gifts of leadership. And today we're going to be uh, focusing on verse 17 uh, to verse 32 uh, of the same chapter, uh, which today I have given a title, Old Ways Out, New Ways In. You see from the word of God, it's referred to as putting the old man off and putting on the new man. So this portion of scripture um, I've seen that uh, it can be broken down into three components, uh, with the first component uh, from verses 17 to 19, which basically talks about the traits of the old man. Then verses 20 to 24, uh, it talks about uh, putting on the new man. Then verses 25 to 32, it now takes up, talks about the conduct of this new man. So verses 17 to 19, the word of God reads, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanliness with great greediness. So what we see in this part, we are being told of some traits of the old man, and um, it's being uh, referred to as the Gentiles walk. If you see the time in scripture, when this scripture was being written, this is the time where Gentiles had been regarded to be separated from God. But as we see in the book of Ephesians, we are now uh, seeing uh, the aspect of equality, where Jews and Gentiles are now the same because we've been redeemed. But prior to that, uh, the Gentiles were regarded as people who were not connected to God, people who were, who were living anyhow, and you know they were not uh, living by any standards of the Jewish culture. So at this point in time, it's still being referred to as the Gentiles' walk because that's what they were associated with. So in verse um, 17, uh, they are talking of... Uh, futility of the mind you know futility of the mind is unproductive thinking you know and when you have unproductive thinking you result in um, your understanding being darkened you know a darkened understanding so what is a darkened mind a darkened mind is a mind that knows the meaning of nothing you know a mind that denies the meaning of everything you know because of that unproductive thinking in verse 18 uh, the word of God now talks about separation from God. So uh, one of the traits of the old man is you are separated from God. Uh, and the next verse talks about um, a, a blindness of the heart. If you go into the Greek origins of this word blindness that was used there, it just means uh, hardened, something that is hardened. So the blindness of, this, of, of, of the heart in this context, we are talking of a, a hardened heart. 
what is a hardened heart? You know, a, a, a hardened heart is that heart that can sin and doesn't feel anything, uh, doesn't feel any grief. You know, there is no sensitivity. Verse 18 gives us more of um, the, the, the traits of, of, of um, the old man. No sense of shame. Living in lustful pleasure. You know, practicing all forms of impurity. These are some of the uh, traits of the old man. Then we move on to verse 20 to 24, which is now talking about putting on the new man. So we've been uh, made known of the traits of the old man, and now we are being ushered into how do we put on the new man. So the word of God uh, from verse 20 to 24 reads, But have you not so learned Christ? If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. I like the way that uh, the writer starts uh, with uh, verse um, 20, where he's talking about learning Christ. Then I think about it, you know, it's not just knowing that there is Christ who died for me and is my Lord and Savior and I've given my life to him. But it goes deeper than that to a living, abiding knowledge of Jesus Christ, you know. So when you have that living, abiding knowledge of Jesus Christ, it now facilitates, you know, the transition from the old man into the new man. And you see in verse 22, they now talk about some of the traits that we talked about before, and we are now being instructed to throw those traits off as it is the only way that we can now transit to um, putting on the new man. Uh, verse 23, it, it says, uh, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on a new man which was created according to God. So it's, it's a spirit issue, you know? It's the Holy Spirit issue. You and I, we can be intentional about wanting to be a new man and that's where it starts from. But now we need to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. That's the only way that we can achieve to transcend from the old man into, into the new man. Because the, the Holy Spirit is the one who renews our thoughts and our attitudes. Amen? Amen. And in verse 24, uh, this new man is created according to God's image. And now this is in contrast with the old, old man, you know, who is um, living in a way that he's rebellious against God. But the man we are talking about now in verse 24 is created according to God's image. And you know what I love the most about this part is to just know that this is God's design. So what he has designed cannot fail. He is the one that has designed this new man. And if we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, then we will transit from the old man into, into the new man. If you see the book uh, of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5:17, it says, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. So this is the new man that we are, that we are talking about. Uh, then uh, from verses 25 to 32, uh, you know, we've stated the traits of the old man. We've talked about the transition from the old man into the new man. And this part now talks about the conduct of the new man because it just doesn't end on us becoming a new man. 
there's what is expected of us. There's a certain kind of conduct that is expected of us when we are now the new men. So the word of God reads, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole still no longer. Let him who still who stole still no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who is the need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Wow, that's, that's a powerful portion of word there. So what we see in, uh, in verse 25, we are being called to be people who tell the truth. Not only to myself, but also for the benefit of the community. We've seen that the, the word of God is saying, put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. There's an illustration I was reading the other day of the brains. You know, the brains are the ones that uh, communicate signal to the body of how we act and react. So imagine the brains, they tell the hand that this stove is not hot, yet in actual fact it's hot. The hand is going to go ahead and lay hold of the stove and you're going to get bent. And the whole body is going to be in pain because the brain has communicated an incorrect signal. So it's the same with us. When we are in a community, in a family, when we are in church, we are in the body of Christ, we need to make sure whatever we are talking about is in such a way that it builds the body, not the reverse. Amen. And... Uh, verse 27 says, do not, um, sorry, verse 26 is, is, is talking about not allowing emotions to cause one to sin. So the word of God says, be angry and do not sin. You know, when it comes to emotions, I personally believe that uh, the devil has no ability to create anything. He can't. Creation is from God. So whatever is in me, I believe it came from God. So these emotions they are there to communicate something. When I am happy, when I feel joy, it's just communicating that things are all right. When I get angry, when I am sad, it's an emotion that is just communicating to say something is not right and you need to do something about it. So I don't associate anger with the devil. Anger is just telling me that something is not right and I immediately need to work on it. What becomes of the devil is allowing that anger to work in me to sin. So don't feel bad about it when you get angry. You are a human being and you have emotions. It's just a trigger that is telling you that something is not right. But immediately work on it to find out what is making me angry. And you address it immediately. Amen. Um, verse uh, 28 says, um, it talks about not stealing. 
You know, many a times we tell ourselves that, ah, me, I don't steal. I've, I, I think I last stole something when I was a kid. But there are some minor, minor things that we get ourselves in. We use some things without any authorization. And sometimes we get involved in these uh, shoddy kind of deals. The word of God is just telling us to desist from that kind of operation and at least work hard in all honesty so that we can make more that we can even share with those ones that are in need. Verse 29, it, it talks about watching over one's, uh, one's tongue. It says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we actually had the same one. I think it was Pastor Linia who taught about the tongue. I remember we actually, there were some, a number of words um, an average number of ways that we say every day in our lives. And we're just uh, being taught to say, you know what? Imagine these are the number of ways that come out of your mouth. If you choose to use them wisely, they are going to build. The same number of words, if you don't use them wisely, they are going to destroy. So the trait of a new man, the conduct of a new man is saying that choose your words wisely. Watch over your tongue. And it goes ahead in the same verse and says, it may impart grace to the hearers. Imagine what we say can actually impart grace to the next person. That's so powerful to me, you know? And the reverse becomes true. If what I say can impart grace to the other person, it means if I don't choose my words rightly, I can bring hurt. I can destroy those who are around me. Uh, verse uh, 30 it talks about do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit, he grieves over us because he knows what misery, sin can cause us. So the grieving of the Holy Spirit, when I look at it, you know, you and I, we can't grieve over something that we don't love or something that we don't care about. So because of the care that the Holy Spirit has for us, whenever we are going in the wrong direction, he grieves on our behalf, you know? So we are encouraged not to do things that make the Holy Spirit grieve, you know? Things that just keep us in line and keep us in check uh, with, with the Holy Spirit. Then it says, um, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed. You know, the sealing that's, that is being talked about here. Uh, remember that he identified you as his own. Therefore, we are guaranteed that uh, we will be saved on the, on the day of, uh, of redemption. Verse 31, it talks about the new man uh, having to control his emotions, something similar to what we've already talked about in, in verse 27. Then verse 32, which is the last part of this chapter, says, it talks about the new man. He seeks to show the same kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness to others just as God shows us. So, as I will be coming to a conclusion this morning, uh, if you've been following, we've been doing the book of Ephesians as the church, uh, the daily devotions. I think on day 28, somewhere there, uh, as we just reflect, uh, there's a table that is there which uh, has a list of items that uh, we need to let go of and items that we uh, need to uh, lay hold of. Uh, it tells us that let go of lies. Instead, 
lay hold of speaking truth with each other. It says, uh, let go of sinning in your anger, you know, letting things chew, but sort things out, you know, as early as possible. Let go off of stealing, but work hard and get to help others who are in need. Let go of dodgy talk, but be a person who brings beneficial talk onto the table, you know. Let go of bitterness, let go of anger, let go of wrath, let go of quarreling, slander, let go of gossip, but instead lay hold of kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. You know, forgiveness, when I look at it, uh, it brings more healing to the person who is forgiving rather than the one who wronged me. So if I am a person who learns and who is able to forgive, it actually does more good to me more than the person that I am that I am forgiving. So this morning, as we are seated where we are seated, this list is not exhaustive. There are things that we need to let go of. But what I love the most is there are things that we have already been able to let go of. So the reflection, I'm not just coming on the negative end of letting us just try to think of the things we are not doing good. Even those that we are doing well, let those things be a source of motivation to say, I've been able to let go of this. So A, B, C, which I have not yet been able to deal with, I can do it because I've done it before. Maybe you've not been able to let go of anything before, but it's an opportunity to allow the Holy Spirit to come in and transcend us from the old man into the new man. I shall pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the word that you bring upon us. We just pray, Father, that we will be able to allow the Holy Spirit to help us into transcending from being an old man into the new man that will be able to shine the light as we move out there so that we can draw people closer to you because of the conduct of the new men that would be upon us. It is in the name of Jesus that I pray with my heart full of thanksgiving. Amen. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued, and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au. And thanks again for listening.